No, well, we're back now again, Carl, on track. And I suppose today we decided we would look at a certain aspect, um, a positive approach to ageing. And they tell us anyway that when one has a positive approach to ageing, it improves physical and mental health. So we have an expert with us this morning who's been with us before. So may I welcome Professor Declan Lyons, uh, who is a consultant physician and geriatrician attached to University Hospital Limerick and St. Camillus's Hospital Limerick. Good morning, Declan, and thank you. thank you so much for coming in. So what are your thoughts on healthy ageing? Oh, well, it's a very fashionable uh, topic at the minute. Um, I think years ago, and you'll, you know, you'll remember it from your parents and that, that there was a certain inevitability around ageing. Um, the current view on it, I think, is that it's inevitable that people get old, but it's not inevitable that they age. And that's kind of uh, a fairly new and recent concept but it conjures up the notion that you can manage ageing. And I fervently believe in that. Um, do you? Yes. I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you can do an awful lot to age successfully, whatever that is, and that's different things to different people. Uh, in a fairly scientific way, you know, inevitably it's, it's about surviving for a long time and living for a long time, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, most people would aspire to live to a grand old age but I think a lot of people if you ask them about it they'll nuance their response and they'll say that's okay as long as I'm reasonably good I don't want to get into old age and be burdened with all sorts of illnesses but I think nowadays we have a lot of data uh, on that and um, for example in the United States there's this notion of this live long die fast Um, we know that Maybe, to my mind, maybe the greatest achievement in the 20th century was the fact that from the start of the 20th century to the end of it, there was 20 years added to life expectancy. That's Not two, years. 20. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. That never, ever happened in the history of mankind. It's unlikely that it would happen again at that rate, but it was a phenomenal um, achievement. But it kind of upended in many respects, our approach to ageing, because you might remember the old Bismarckian approach to pensions, you know, our whole notion that you retire at 65 came from actuarial data uh, that Bismarck came up with and said, you know, that if you got to the age of 65 back in the mid-19th or late 19th century, your life expectancy from that point was about three or four years. Yes. But nowadays, it's up up around 30 years, that type of thing, if you get to 65, or maybe short of 30 years. So this is huge consequences, obviously, for the health service, even bigger consequences for pension providers. Um, but to go back to my point, point about this live long, die fast, the, you can imagine a scenario, let's say you get extra an extra 20 years added to your lifespan, which is what happened on average in the 20th century then there are kind of three scenarios that could unfold with that. One, those extra years are morbidity-laden. In other words, you get them, but you get disease as well. You know, come at a price. Come at a price. And I think most people don't want that, really. So that's scenario number one, that it's all morbidity-laden. Second scenario would be that you, it's not all morbidity laden, you know, of the 20 years, for example, you might get 10 good, 
and tend not so good. And I think most people would go along with that. Mm-hmm. But the current thinking is, in fact, the majority of those additional years are actually particularly good. Um, that there, there's going to be an individual, a contraction in individual mor- morbidity. In other words, what you'll encounter in terms of illness in your entire life, there'll be less of it. You'll be healthier and you'll live for longer. And it sounds kind of tautological almost, like that it is a fact that the majority of disease that an individual encounters in their life, they'll actually encounter it in the last six months of their life. That's just a fact. Yeah. So, and, and then surprise, surprise, you know, and people die at the end of their lives. So that's why there's so much illness concentrated in, in old age. It's just the way it is. Um, and that can be managed. And the challenge is for fellows like myself and people in, in my game is to make sure that that illness, which is inevitable to a certain degree, is short and confined to that period. Yeah. So, I mean, it's um, that's that's my view in terms of managing aging. And uh, I kind of I just maybe just tell you something else that struck me um, when I was a student. Nothing to do with aging. When I was a student um, studying obstetrics and gynaecology, which I absolutely disliked. Um, oh. One of the reasons why I'm a geriatrician. <laughs> um, but I was struck, though, when I was when I was a student in Hollis Street. They had it. One of the consultants there, Declan Maher, wrote a very famous book that gained kind of worldwide recognition, and it was called The Active Management of Labour. Now, labour is a natural thingy. No one ever thought that it was something that needed to be actively managed. You know, women went into labour and there was a certain inevitable course to labour. But Declan Marr um, put a whole lot of science around it and and suggested that this apparently natural process can be be managed. And the same thing applies as far as I'm concerned to ageing. So ageing and (laughs) labour... But in the same category, uh, you can do lots of things to do it successfully. But maybe the challenge is, you see, uh, for a fellow like me, people say, ah, you can't go into that ledge, you need to be 90 to go into him. Wrong. The whole process of managing ageing starts almost from the cradle to the grave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. You know, with teenagers now spending a lot of time on exercise yeah. and uh not drinking as much, not smoking as much, thankfully, that's likely to produce a big dividend in terms of longevity, but we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, with that. But the process of managing ageing, you know, you can't start it mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're 75. You know, yeah. You've got to get in early. Yeah. And, that's uh, one of the factors now. You talk about teenagers being more aware and being more health conscious. But what are the other factors that you would say most influence healthy ageing? Well, I think... Um, there's no doubt that a positive mental attitude is important. That if if I, I'm I'm certain, and I think it's become very evident in the post-pandemic period, that anxiety and depression kill, and they lower the threshold at which people get diseases. So um, if you can do the things that keep anxiety and depression at bay it's going to be really good for your health. You'll be way more engaged. You'll be more likely to say, do you know what? I will go down 
and have a game of 45 tonight instead of ah, I couldn't be bothered, yes, this type of thing. Yeah. So, and I think humans are designed to interact with humans. So, you know, um, engagement, paying attention to what's going on yeah, around you, talking to people, not being introspective. Um, if you can manage that stuff, it's good for your health. And then there are a few very simple, I think, top tips. Don't smoke. I mean, probably yeah. there is no um, social habit that ages people um, as much as smoking. I mean, I'm at this a long time, but I can tell a smoker from a mile off. Okay. I can tell it in their skin. and Does, their, does their, it age your brain? Uh, almost certainly. It, it, it ages every bit of your cartilage, quite frankly. And the mechanism probably is that um, if you smoke, it has a profound effect on the lining of your blood vessels, tiny blood vessels, which release this substance called nitric oxide. And we know that in smokers, and that dilates up your blood vessels and ensures good, luxurious perfusion into your organs, muscle, bone, brain, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that goes down significantly with smoking. And it also goes down in the in the tiny vessels under your skin. Um, so it's a lot of the stuff, the cig- cigarette smoking um, reduces perfusion or blood supply into multiple tissues, including the brain, and puts you at risk, obviously, of things like vascular dementia. Um, and then this, this is kind of a cascade thing. You know, if it, it reduces muscle perfusion, you might feel less inclined uh, to get out and walk or cycle your bike or whatever you want to do. And when that happens, you can get maybe lower level yeah. depression. And, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. A lot of people, my age group now, and we have uh, nobody here is my age group <laughs> in the studio at the moment. Uh, but um, when I was a teenager... It certainly was fashionable to smoke. Mm. Every film star smoked and you weren't a bit sophisticated. It took me two years to learn to smoke. Mm. But I did... For slow learner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> two years. I persevered. And um, I smoked for a lot of years. But I have given them up now over 20 years ago. Is that beneficial? Yes. No, there's no question it's beneficial. Uh, in terms of uh, risk for say, the big things like lung cancer or esophageal cancers, these cancers that are strongly related to cigarette smoking, it takes about five to six years. I'd have to go back and look precisely at the timing, but for that risk to get back down to zero. Yes. um, Or as close to zero. It might never in some instances go back to zero, but it it takes that length of time to shake it off. But the, the immediate consequences of, say, improving perfusion into blood vests, into, into, say, muscle and brain, that happens a lot more quickly. Right. And you'll, you'll hear from smokers as well. Like within a short period, God, I feel way better. I feel more capable mm. of doing things. So there are, I think there's a graduated um, series of responses to quitting cigarette smoking in terms of, say, cancer modification, it's a bit slower. But in terms of activity, feeling better than yourself, having better lung capacity, that happens fairly mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. So you're ne- never too late. What's about, to re- what about retirement? How does retirement impact oh, on yeah. aging? Yeah. I, don't, I think that's such a... Fin- I really think that's, uh, I think that's a very interesting question. I don't know, Carl, if I have... I don't, I don't know about that, but I do ask people a lot... Mm-hmm about it um, because again I don't think the retirement thing um, necessarily leads one way or another to a particular outcome there's only one study I know of. there's a huge study 
done in the States about physicians. It was actually done in physicians, and they looked at retirement, age 60 versus age 65. And off the top of my head, something like the mean survival for those that uh, retired at 60 was something like 12 or 13. No, uh, sorry, at, at 60 was something like 20 years. But for those that retired at 65, it was 12 or something. There was a big, oh, big difference. Yeah. Um, that's the only study I know of. But I think I'm not sure you can take the retirement issue and apply it in a general sense because there's such huge inter-individual mm-hmm. variation. You have some fellas and if they're, and women or whatever, if they're retired, they'd be dead in the morning. And there are others that if they kept going and you can tell, they'll get into trouble. So I think it depends to a large degree on how you're hardwired. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what your work is because... If you're, you know, if you're doing physical yeah. labour, I mean, yeah. your back could be broken by the time you get yeah. to 60. I agree with that 100%. It depends on what you're doing and if you like what you're doing. If you like what you're doing, um, it's a big thing, isn't yeah, it? I think, I think that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose the big, the big imponderable with retirement, and I often say it, is you don't know. People just say, what do you think of retirement, John? Would you, you know, and say, oh, no, I'm happy as Larry now. I'm happy out and... The inevitable kind of response is, well, I might feel good about this, um, but I'm not quite sure what it's doing to me in terms of my, say, yeah. physiological reserve. But I think if you feel good about work and you like it and you get something out of it and better still, you don't have to work for financial reasons, mm-hmm. but you choose to work, I think that can't be anything other than good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Declan, just uh, something else now. There are positive aspects to ageing, mm. aren't there? What, what do you think they are? Well, I think, um, I don't want to sound like um, this, the old-fashioned thing of wisdom, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> of uh, if you've been around and you've seen things, um, you're, you're far better able to contextualise stuff. Um, my own mother, who's 93, you know, somebody was saying, we were talking about, worrying about anxious about something and her line was listen don't worry the ma- vast majority of things you worry about never happen mm-hmm. now how can you arrive at that um, position without a lot of experience under your belt mm-hmm. you can't say that when you're 15 <laughs> uh, so you know I think the longer you're around uh, you pick up tips and tricks uh, about how to uh, manage yourself how to manage yourself in the world uh, manage people around you I think one of the fantastic things for that I see is the relationship nowadays between grandchildren oh, yeah, and grandparents. Oh, that's grandparents. very important, yeah. Um, that's an incredible relationship. And it's, it's a relationship, I think, that younger people have now that wasn't available years ago. I mean, when I was a kid, I can, I can just about remember my grandfather and grandmother on one side, but then um, I never had the opportunity to interact with them, yeah. uh, even as a teenager. So I think um, I think it's a very special relationship, and I think a lot of younger people really value that relationship and get a lot from it. Yeah. So. And there was a study this week I heard on, I, I just heard on Drive Time, I think it was, it was done of 200,000 people, and it was about... Um, how grandparents 
how grandparents benefit from minding their grandchildren. I'm sure there's a lot of happy youngsters out there. Who I, I, I thought my daughter put that story out, actually. <laughs> but um, you know that there's something to be gained, as long as it's on your terms. You know yeah, that yeah. there are boundaries around yeah. it, but that there, there's, that it's such a two-way relationship, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that, that's right, you know. yeah. Because I suppose loneliness is a big part of... Loneliness is... Yeah, I was just going to say itself, that like, the people it? we're talking about are the people who are lucky to be in a particular place yes. near their family with grandchildren or family around them. It mightn't be so easy if you don't have anybody uh, near you, if you're living in an isolated place and yes. you don't have family. That's a different scenario altogether, I think. But Yeah, know. I mean, it, the sad reality, I mean, suicide rates across age groups are highest in the elderly. And so, yeah. I mean, it's not the notion that everybody skips gleefully into old age and it's all it's all rosy. It isn't. And, you know, and that happens for a variety of reasons. It happens, obviously, because of social isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens because sometimes society doesn't deem old people to have specific worth if they're not involved in the workplace, etc. Mm-hmm. Or they mightn't have the social connections. Yeah. That's one of the great things, I think, in, in, in this community is that there's there's a lot of old fashioned as I see it, respect for older people that you don't necessarily see um, in cities. Yes. And, you know, I've often been struck when somebody is 100, um, you know, around here, everybody talks about it. You know, it could be 100 in Limerick or Dublin and nobody would know or care, you know. So these things are important. So anything that affirms the individual, in my view, has got to be good for your your health and good for Mm ageing. And I suppose um, a lot of older people would say that they're, they're finding it very difficult to manage on the money they get. But it is a guaranteed income. Yeah. So there is a, a certain um, security in that, I suppose, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not I'm, I'm no more expert than anybody else on that one. But I mean, I suppose the more the more you can get and the more financially secure you are, then again, it goes back to my initial uh, point about being comfortable in yourself, not having reasons to worry. I mean, yeah, to me, the biggest reason why for people worrying really is, is health, their own health or the health of their family and the welfare of their family. These are the big issues. And then after that, I think, you know, financial stuff. I was talking to a patient of mine yesterday who has worked very, very hard all of his life, difficult work, and uh, retired at 65 um, because I think he had to retire and his health wouldn't allow him to continue. But right now, his biggest worry is financial, you know, which is kind of sad when you think having done 40-odd or maybe 45 years. So it's different for everybody. Declan, just... Should well people, people who haven't got morbidity, people who haven't got, uh, they're, they're aware of any difficulty or high blood pressure, anything, should they have checkups? Um, yes, I think. I mean, there's a point at yes, which. There's an NCT that should be done. Yeah, there is, I think. But, but the question then is, you know, inevitably, at what point do you start doing that? Um, I think if, in general, if people are have a healthy lifestyle, if they don't smoke, they take regular exercise, and they don't carry known morbidity like you know diabetes or have conditions with which have a strong um, familial preponderance, I don't think they need to go beating themselves up about doing too much. Um, I think it's no harm. I mean, you you know, you'd look under the old bonnet once a year, wouldn't you? I mm. mean, so I think the same in health. As far as I'm concerned, if you were going to do anything from maybe your 40s onwards, you should get a 24-hour blood pressure monitor mm-hmm. done 
at some stage in your early 40s. If it's grand, I wouldn't do it again for five years. I think once you get to age 65, I probably would do it nearly annually. Um, So I think blood pressure is so fundamental to so many conditions. Mm. Um, And you may be so unaware of having... 100% unaware of it. So I pay a bit of attention to blood pressure. Mm. I think my own view is that cholesterol is vastly overrated as a risk factor and vastly overtreated. Um, On its own, a mildly or moderately elevated cholesterol uh, in the absence of other risk factors like hypertension, diabetes, cigarette smoking or established disease is not a big risk factor at all. And yet people go on about it all the time. Um, If I was to pick one risk factor uh, to pay a lot of attention to, it would be blood pressure because it's so intimately Mm -hmm. tied in um, with with cardiovascular stroke risk, heart attack risk, and I think, and even cognition, you know, brain function. It's tied, and kidney function. It is so intimately tied in with all of those things. If you only had one thing to go after, I'd go after that. Um, I think getting a blood glucose check done um, in your 40s, and if it's okay, then maybe every five years until you get to your 60s. And obviously, one of my interests is in bone density, and I think people should have look at their bone density at some stage. Mm -hmm. If it's really good, you can almost forget about it. Um, Should they have a DEXA scan? You should get a DEXA done at some stage. And the timing of that actually doesn't matter a whole lot. In the UK, they'd say, oh, no, you shouldn't get a DEXA done until you're 70 or 80 or something. That's ridiculous in my view because you can tell in youth relative youth whether you will or won't have a problem in later life with DEXA so you can get it done at any stage Not, well get it done like in your perimenopausally if you're a woman or a, a man in your 40s 50s get it done once at least and if it's okay it's okay and if there's an issue with it then it, it needs to be tracked so if you looked at those big issues um, and there are not too many in that and did it periodically you'd actually avoid a lot of trouble Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I suppose the screening services that are there in relation to things like bowel screen and, yes. and whatever else is available, yes. you know, for screening. Yes. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. They're generally targeted at high-risk individuals. I mean, what I've just told, what I've just said there, Carol, relates to, sort to of the broad yes, population. Yeah. Like if you carry a specific risk factor, then that's a different kettle of fish. Mm-hmm. You need, that needs to be added to that mm-hmm. kind of... 